So welcome everyone to the second session of our Ask Me Anything session with Jason, Margaret, and myself. And uh, basically these sessions are um, for you guys to ask any questions that you might have, and we are here to help uh, support you, answer your questions about selling on Amazon, private label, sourcing from China, sourcing from India, anything uh, that you want. Um, can I please request you, if possible, please turn on your videos because, you know, this is like a Zoom meeting interactive. It, it's nice to see people's faces instead of just talking to names. Um, yeah. Hi, Farah. Good to see you. <laughs> Amber, Ben. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. So, um, uh, Jason, Margaret, we had one question that uh, was sent in to us by Ravi and Ravi is actually here. So maybe Ravi, do you want to ask your question first? And then we'll go to the others. Where's Ravi? Ravi, you can unmute and ask. Yeah, morning. Morning to everyone. Uh, my first question is I've been registered uh, for brand registry through the IP accelerator. And uh, I already got my serial number and I want to further to enroll into that uh, brand registry in Amazon. Uh, there was uh, two times a rejection regarding my posting. Uh, they claim it's a computer generated uh, design for imposed on my picture. Uh, that's not true, but I've taken the picture uh, with the brand on the product. So they claim it is a computer generated. I just want to know how to overcome this uh, because twice I already appealed to them and they are telling me things. Maybe you have some experience to guide me through. What do you think, Jason? Okay, uh, thanks Ravi for that question. I think that's a common issue. Uh, so it seems like number one, your uh, branding on your product is legitimate, uh, but it's just on Amazon's end that they are Oh, well, not happy with it. <laughs> um, I, the, honestly, uh, I have two, two thoughts. Uh, number one, shouldn't your IP accelerator law firm be the one submitting the brand registration for you? Uh, and typically, if you use the IP accelerator, that happens without any hassle on your end. Uh, so you might want to go through the law firm that you engaged. Number two, the other option is uh, just keep submitting the photos. Maybe take a new photo, slightly vary the angle or something. Um, on uh, I've I know people who have appealed like two, three, four, five, six times and are so discouraged because Amazon just um doesn't play ball. Uh, and then eventually on the seventh attempt, submitting the same thing, they get approved. Yeah, it depends who looks at it on the day. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so if you actually, I missed, I couldn't quite hear you. Is the brand name actually on your product or is that on your packaging and not on your product? Uh, it is on the, because it is a carrying bag, I uh, uh, engraved my logo on the bag. So it's actually on the bag. Yeah, because I know people have had trouble and they've had to, you know, hold the box and the product on two hands in, in front of the camera, get someone to take a photo, and that worked because they yep. could see that they were there. But if it's on the bag, um, that's going to be like, they, I don't know, do they think it's doctored up or something? I don't yeah. know. 
that's a great suggestion by Margaret with your hands. And Ben in the chat has actually a fantastic uh, suggestion. Amazon wants to see that it's not like a white background Photoshop kind of thing. Mm. So if you take it like in a real life setting, like somebody actually holding it, uh, yeah, that might work. Yeah not, yeah, not your actual main photo. I think that might be your problem. Yep. And yeah, so if you hold it on your hand and, you know, have you got another package that it's got your logo on it at all that the bags are going in or anything? Because then if you've got two, you can sort of, you know, put them both up you know, with, with you in the photo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that way then they know it's a real photo. When I was sending my photos to the law firm, then they asked me to use my mobile phone to take photos. And they said, don't use professional photos. Just use your phone to take a crappy photo and, you know, make the product look like authentic and not really made up. And don't edit the photos at all. Don't yep. Photoshop. Don't yep. adjust the lighting, brightness, nothing. Yep. Don't edit the photos yep. at all. So, um, yeah, just curious, Ravi, are you sending them your um, your images, images from your listing, mm-hmm. like your product images, the really nice ones? Yeah, it is from the listing. Yeah. Don't yeah. send the nice ones. Send That's the crap. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just do a selfie with the product. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, give that a try and then let us know in the Telegram group how it goes and what the outcome is. Uh, okay, did you have another question, Ravi? Yeah, I have another one. Uh, I have uh, remember reading somewhere uh, if your sales is uh, achieving more than uh, ten thousand k uh, in your monthly, so the, the, is it uh, true that uh, we need to buy some product indemnity insurance coverage? Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, I always tell people, uh, at least Amazon gives you till you hit 10,000 revenue, they're not asking for it from day one. And the main point of the insurance is Amazon wants you to have insurance that covers them. Uh, so if you want to find out more, uh, Magla, Margaret, myself, we've uh, um, done some interviews and webinars with uh, several insurance providers. Um, so you can look for that. Yep, there we go. Uh Magalas put a link there in the chat. Yeah, so Jason has um, an article on it as well. We did an article too. And in our um, article, we also talk about EIN and how to apply for an EIN because as an overseas seller, you will need to give them your EIN and also a US address. So in case you don't have a US address, the article also tells you, I think Jason, does your article also explain that? Um, get... If you use a US insurer like Ashley, yeah. then yes, you will need an EIN. If yeah. you use um, insurer that's in your home country, uh, whether that be Australia or Singapore, then you don't need an EIN. So for example, I use uh, my insurance is through Galaxy with uh, Chubb. Uh, so I don't need an EIN for that. Yeah. But an EIN is free anyway. I do have an EIN. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Ravi, take a look at those resources and those will help you. Any other question from you, Ravi? Uh, at this moment, no. Maybe you can go for other than that if I have an article. Okay, cool. Craig. Uh, 
Yeah, Craig has a question. The best way to approach businesses to work with. Craig, could you clarify what exactly you mean? What types of businesses? Um, I'm looking to I'm looking to work with wholesalers. Um, so I would like to know how the best what would be the best way to approach them when trying to reach out to work with them. And I know I've taken the Amazon course on wholesalers, but um, I'd still like to figure out how to, what to talk with them, how to ask them to work, form a partnership, form a business relationship with them to sell their products on Amazon. Okay. So you, for you mean like for example, open a wholesale account, let's say with yeah. um, Mattel, and then sell their toys or something. Yeah. Um. So I, I suppose there are a few different approaches, and there isn't like a a one size fits all. Um. I would say ideally it's to meet them face to face. So previously I would go to trade shows. Um, and meet with vendors who are there. Um, barring that, uh, then you can always um, contact them. So depending on the brand, sometimes go to their website, sometimes they have a page on wholesale uh, and you can click there for the contact information. Sometimes they just have like a contact us for wholesale inquiries. So then just drop them an email or fill out the contact form. Um, and if you want to pick up the phone, if they have a contact number, uh, and give them a call and ask to speak to someone about a wholesale account. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, I was, I think it was more like how, what type of, what would you say to get them interested or how would you say what would you type in the email? That's type of stuff. Like how would you approach them in your. Oh, okay. okay. Do you introduce would... yourself? Is that yes. What yeah. yeah. How do, how would I introduce myself and ask them to, Hey, I want to work with you. Let's make a, let's form a partnership type of deal. How do we approach that? A wholesale typically wouldn't have a partnership kind of thing. They would just have uh, the pre-existing wholesale pricing which might have like different tiers, like price breaks. Uh, and essentially, they would just send you that information, uh, typically. Uh, so they're not interested in really like forming a partnership or whatever. Um, so essentially, I would keep the email really short and sweet, uh, get straight to the point. Uh, that would be how I would approach it. I don't know, Mar Margaret's approach might be different. No, well, I think if you, you know, write too much, they're not going to, you know, read it all. Like, it's no good sending in, like, a, um, I suppose, your, your whole story. profile of your life. Um, they're not really interested in that, mm -hmm. um, you know. I mean, so I think, yeah, just like Jason said, sweeten to the point, but, you know, clarify that, you know, maybe, you know, have you had experience doing anything similar to this or, you know, just something to, you know, make them want to come back to you, something about yourself that, you know, that you've, you know, got some experience in something or, you know, not that you just sort of haven't got a clue what you're doing um, yep. because you're not going to get a response from that, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> I, I used to have about 20 uh, wholesale accounts. Uh, typically how I would, my, my email to them would be, uh, hi, uh, I'm so-and-so and, -so and uh, 
we are really interested in opening a wholesale account with you, would you be able to send me um, your price list uh, by email? And more or less, that's it. So not that different from the um, Amazon learning course. Yeah, yeah the one, the private, the private. Proven, proven Amazon course, a PhD. Yeah. 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 And I think most companies would have some sort of a program, you know, a wholesale program. So they would, in some cases, also ask you to fill in a form or, you know, mm -hmm. submit your details. And yeah. Yes, I've seen that in my research. Yeah. Oh, cool. okay. Uh, yeah, may I ask to... a yeah. question regards to wholesale? What's the typical margins that uh, you should look for? Like, for example, let's say uh, selling Mattel toys. What's the typical margin? That... Sorry, for example, what? Some Mattel toys. What's the typical margin that we're expecting? And what, what amount to look for to know that it's profitable? Uh, I would say do the, it's the same, do the numbers and... Uh, you want to make sure there's sufficient margin. If it's something that would sell itself, right? let's say it's a, a Marvel toy, uh, they or Fisher Price, they sell themselves. So there's no advertising involved. Um, then I probably would want a 15 to 20% profit margin at the end of the day. The only issue with... I've stopped wholesale altogether since 2016 because I found that it's not worth my time, effort, and it's not sustainable, in my opinion, in the long run on a channel like Amazon. And the reason for that is um, the same Fisher Price or Mattel toys uh, or Lego, for that matter, um, that there's just not enough margin in those. And the reason is because the big retailers like Walmart would get it at a much better price than whatever you can purchase at because they're purchasing like $500 million worth at a shot at one go and you are purchasing like $5,000 worth. So you can imagine they would be obtaining it at a far better wholesale price. Uh, and then by the time you have shipping costs from let's say Mattel to a prep center and then you label pay the prep center to package label or uh, label the thing and then you pay shipping again to fba uh, you're going to be probably making a loss which is why i always tell people the money is to be made in the brand uh, which is why nike for example or reebok they make a t-shirt uh, let's say for 50 cents or a dollar they slap on their logo and they now can sell it for 50 dollars it's not the t-shirt factory that makes the most margin. It's not the retailer that makes the, the third-party retailers that make the margin. It's the brand owner that makes the most margin. Um, yeah. So, but typically wholesale price for those companies is let's say 30-40% below retail price, your wholesale price. But once you add in Amazon costs, right? It, you, once you do the numbers, it's probably going to you're probably going to be selling at a loss. Yeah, and there's also a lot of competition, really. You know, you're competing against so many people. I mean, 
she can find mm. something private label that you can put on Amazon and you, then you've got something to sell at the end um, as well. And you've got, yep. you know, a couple of years down the track, you can sell your brand. I mean, Absolutely. if you're doing wholesale, you've got really got nothing to sell. Yep, Margaret's right. You have to fight for the buy box on Amazon if you're selling like a third-party brand. Uh, what happened to me, like I had this particular uh, Fisher-Price toy that was selling really well. Uh, it was selling like 29.90 something on Amazon. Uh, I was buying it at 19.90 whatever. Um, so that it was one of my first products in 2013 actually. Uh, and so first like whatever 20 sets or what, one carton I ordered all sold out within like two days. So I went in and ordered a whole lot more. By the time they got into Amazon, now Amazon's a seller of this same Fisher Price Alphabet Dinosaur, but Amazon is selling it at the price I paid for it. Mm. As in Amazon themselves. So then I'm stuck with hundreds of units. Uh, and if I price match Amazon, I'm going to be losing like $10 per sale or something. Okay, so let's move on to the next question from Cynthia. What is your view on price moving up and down $3 plus minus during testing? Three months changes, three to four X. Oh, so like changing it like every month more or less. Yeah. Um, what do you mean up and down? Why would you change it up and down all the time? Yeah, what's the reason for that, Cynthia? Mm, just to see what is the um, the sales movement like, you know, with the price difference and okay. PPC with okay. PPC up and down or with price up and down. Okay, price testing. Mm. I guess if you want to do price testing, sure you can do that. Uh, you can A B C test different price points over, let's say, one or two weeks per price point. But you want to make sure, of course, then that uh, all things, uh, et cetera, paribus, that everything else remains equal. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess you, you can do that if you want to. Does, does Amazon uh, penalize all the, the price changes frequently? No. Actually, one of the things that I used to do, uh, I haven't changed my prices in a long time, but when I was starting out, um, I used to plus minus my price by one or two cents every now and then. Uh, the reason for that is as an Amazon shopper myself, I have a Prime account. I've noticed that if I've browsed a product on Amazon uh, and what tends to happen is occasionally I'll get an email from Amazon that says, hey, the product that you are looking at has gone up by two cents or gone down by a dollar. Uh, so when you actually vary your price, Amazon's engine actually sends an email to the customers who have viewed the product or added it to their cart uh, to say, hey, uh, you were interested in this FYI, it's just gone down by five cents. <laughs> uh, so sometimes then you, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's free marketing essentially. But no, I don't think Amazon penalizes. Uh, the way to make sure Amazon doesn't penalize you for your pricing strategy is always make sure to, when you create the listing, to fill the manufacturer's uh, suggested retail price. Um, so when you create an Amazon listing, you can put like three different pricings. One is the MSRP. 
So always make sure, let's say you want to sell the product at $30, then make sure your MSRP is above $30. And then your actual selling price, you set it at something at equal to or less than. I typically always do less than. The reason for that is Amazon has programmed their system in such a way where if you do not fill the MSRP field, uh, then the search Amazon's bot will look at your selling price. And if it thinks it's too high, it will suppress the buy box, meaning there will be no add to cart button that will severely hamper your sales. Uh, so always set, let's say, uh, so Cynthia, like if you want to set $30, then maybe set an MSRP of $39.99. Uh, and then you can play with your price variations, anything below your MSRP. Yeah, look, sometimes you can get the strikeout price if you um, have established a selling price. Um, mm. It doesn't always happen. It used to be really easy to get the um, strikeout price, which shows really nicely. So you might be selling it, um, you know, for $40 and have your uh, retail price at 60 So it would show that you've given like a 30% discount. But I'm finding that very difficult to get and to keep now. Um, yep. It used to be great. Um, and, you know, I've, I've tried several times and I get one and then all of a sudden they take it away again. So, and I don't know why, because I haven't moved anything. So um, it's something in the back end that they're obviously fiddling with now. That's not as, it was great when it was mm -hmm. easy to do. Yep. Okay. So next question from Mabel. Uh, would love to hear all three share tips on how to rank on top of the fold on first page and how do you maintain that position? Isn't that the million-dollar question? <laughs> lots of money. <laughs> lots and lots of PPC spent. <laughs> uh, number one, ranking on top of the fold is always related to a keyword. So if, you're, if it's a very long-tail, low-competition keyword, then hey, you're going to be able to rank really, really easily. Uh, but if it's a more short-tail, uh, common keyword, then it's something most likely most sellers of the of similar products have optimized for. Then it will be much harder. Then of course, uh, you probably have to spend. Um, well, the two main, the three main factors that would um help you rank high would be number one, uh, how well optimized your listing is for that keyword, and you know, like in the title, etc. Number two would be um, your advertising strategy. So you can occupy various spots on top of the fold. Uh, so that's the, the, the headline banner position. If you have three or more products, then you can um, bid for keywords to occupy that space. Uh, then of course, the other one would be the sponsored product positions. Mm. The other factors, some of them are not in our control. For example, oh, well, they are sort of uh, your sales velocity that is attributed to the keyword. So how many, how many sales has this product generated uh, and the conversion ratios, the click-through rate, uh, rates, et cetera, um, that originated from customers searching like particular keywords that led to them clicking and buying on your, buying your product. Uh, so that, uh, is accumulative over time. And then the other factor, number four, that's not really in our control would be uh, the comp what's the competition doing? <laughs> like you might find that, hey, it's really easy to rank using PPC, let's say a 40 cent click, 
40 cent bid uh, and you're always like on page the top of page one and then like next week you check hey uh, there's somebody else now <laughs> then that's because a competitor has now started to bid for that keyword uh, at a higher bid price than you so yep yeah and i think too you can have a look at helium 10 and just see um what they're saying you need to um sort of sell in like in every eight days there's a report that you can look at and it will tell you how many products you need to sell so if you're only selling six and it tells you you need to be selling 20 there's no way knowing you're going to maintain that keyword on page one because the competitors are too uh, sort of strong for you at that point either with ppc mm. you know the whole thing so but that's a good way to look and i think if yep. you're looking for a product you should always look at that and see you know to get to page one with this keyword do i need to be selling 40 a day and i mean if you look at something and it's 40 or 50 a day you know have you got the, the budget to get to that to start with because um, mm -hmm. it's not easy to start selling that unless you've got you know a bit of a dream product i mean most people launch and it's not easy to start selling 40 in the first few weeks yep. so you know that's another way you can have a look before you dive in i think and to see whether you're really going to do that product before you try and get to page one okay so let's move on to the next question farah is asking can I clarify if the brand 5665 requirement only applicable when you are creating a new listing mm -hmm. or a new listing with a new brand that you're trying to create? Okay. I'm not too sure uh, whether it happens with a new listing with a new brand. So you're just changing your brand name. Is that what you're doing, Farah? Yeah, that's right. So are you trying to use a brand name for your product and then you're encountering uh, five six six five. So basically, um, let's say my brand name is ABC, and I've already got an approval for you know the brand five. I've already gone through the approval for that. And what if I wanted to create another brand, you know FGD? Would I have to go through you know another round of um, getting approval for the brand five six six five, or do I not need to do that? Okay, just to clarify, this is not for brand registry. Right? This is just to. Oh, yeah. Fill in the brand field. Correct. Yeah. Sorry. Um, you might. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I think you just sure. have to try it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's one of the, those things you just have to, if you're going to do that brand anyway, are you going to use it? Then yeah. just go ahead and tr try doing it and then see what happens. Okay. Okay. Let us know in the Telegram group how it went. <laughs> yeah, I will. Cool. Okay, so next question from Mabel. Do we need to pay taxes for advertising at Amazon? If yes, how do we pay taxes? And there any more? are there any more taxes that we need to pay other than the one in our own country, example, Singapore? Okay. Uh, anytime there's a tax question, I'll start with a disclaimer. I'm not a tax consultant. <laughs> <laughs> Taking this as my... Uh, layperson's advice uh, based on personal experience. Uh, as far as I know, if for advertising fees on Amazon, you pay GST, uh, Mabel, in your case from Singapore, so you'd pay, uh, Amazon has to remit because Amazon is providing a service to you. So Amazon is required by the Singapore tax authorities to pay them the 7% GST. All right, 
So Amazon will then therefore charge you 7% GST. If you are GST registered in Singapore, uh, you can fill, there is a place in Seller Central to fill in your GST number. And I believe then that one, when that happens, then Amazon does not uh, add GST to your advertising fees. Does that answer your question, Mabel? So does that mean we don't have to pay any taxes? Are we, that means we already paid the taxes for advertising on Amazon. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah so if you look at your advertising invoice, right, uh, which is like, yeah, uh, you can go download your advertising invoices on Amazon um, and you will be able to see the breakdown. I see because I received an email from Amazon to say that you know there is this tax that I have to worry about. <laughs> Did they say you have to pay it because, or it's just like a notification? Like, yeah. Is this are you selling? Is this in Singapore you're talking, Mabel, or where is that? Where you're uh, on dot com. Not on America. Maybe is it just a notification to tell you that you yeah are it's calling, a notification that you are being charged GST. Oh, okay. I don't so know. You have all, to you have to read the notification. I don't know what your notification okay. says. There's okay, like okay. a ton of notifications. I get like two hundred a day from Amazon. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and there are no other taxes that we need to pay um, except for our own. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't pay anything in the US and I live in Australia. I mean, it's whatever I bring back to Australia that becomes taxable. Um, that's the only tax that, you know, we have here. Yeah. Okay, next question from Ben. How can we scale our business further, especially if our budget is not so much, by looking for more products or focus more on existing selling products? Yeah, this is a good question. <laughs> what do you guys think? Mark, wanna go first? Well, what I would say is I would add a few more products, really, and spread my risk instead of trying to scale one that you might scale it and you don't know what can happen. You might get a few competitors come in and you've put all your eggs into that one basket and all of a sudden um, the competition is really tough around you and, you know, they can start playing with prices, PPC and everything else. So to me, I like to have a spread of a few different products and try and and like you might find look I might find some days one product mightn't sell anything for some reason don't even ask me why and then everything else will sell and then you might go two days and something else won't sell like so if you've got one product you're going to have some you know more ups and downs I think if you've got three or four products that you can spread the load across you're still going to over a month average very similar sales unless you know there's something going on in the world economy or you know different things like that that's that's what i personally like to do yeah i i agree with margaret i think there are pros and cons either way uh so it depends on what um what your risk appetite and your own personal goals are uh for me i tend to die prefer um to be risk averse so I used to be a combat engineer in the military, so we would build bridges and blow up bridges. Uh, the, and so I always have 
this analogy of you always want to build multiple bridges to cross any water obstacle. Like you don't want to depend on one bridge because if that bridge gets blown up, then you're stuck. Uh, so for me, for example, I have suppliers. Uh, I have suppliers based in multiple countries. I think one, two, three, four, five. Six. I've probably dealt with supplies from like six or seven different countries, uh, and a total of more than ten different uh, suppliers. Um, with and then I have a diversified product range, and the reason for that, similar to Margaret, is on the sales side. It's if any one of the products, like for some reason, let's say Amazon suspends a listing for whatever uh, ridiculous algorithmic reason, or if the competition suddenly heats up too much and the price uh, price war starts in a particular for a particular product, uh, um, dropping that one listing is not going to uh, sink me. And then on the supply side, by um, having multiple different products that I order from different suppliers, if one of the suppliers uh, falls, uh, that doesn't kill my business either. Like, uh, three months ago, one of my suppliers in Taiwan actually uh, sent, uh, replied in one of my emails when I made an order. I said, business is really hard now. We don't know how to survive. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, don't tell me you're going to shut. Uh, um, and then um, more recently, I have one of my, uh, one of my best-selling products um, ran out of stock. Uh, and right now it's on a boat uh, on the way to the US. So that knocks a significant chunk of my daily sales uh, because that's coming from overseas. But then because I have other products from other suppliers, um, being out of stock on one listing isn't going to kill me either. And I think too, um, having more than one product, if you, uh, and hopefully everyone listening has gone into this and think about selling that brand at the end that's your end goal to me is to not just be an amazon seller for the next 10 years but to maybe build a brand up for three or four years sell that one rinse and repeat because you know the rules this time you can probably do better the second time around and start again so if you've got one product not too many people are going to want to buy a brand with one product mm. you need you know um, sort of you know half a dozen products and something that looks presentable like a store that's you know, you don't, you don't want to be selling a car tire and a baby bib in that one um, sort of brand. You want to have a, a really cohesive, nice, you know, that's presented well, that's, you know, in a colour theme and a font theme and everything's matching. So I think, you know, if, if you're going to add products, don't just add willy-nilly because, you know, somebody told you this looks good or, you know, mm. somebody wants you to sell something because they like it or whatever. You've got to try and make it into something that's related. It doesn't have to be exactly the same thing it could be you could have a brand by wood or metal or you might do um glasses and you might do acrylic you might do plastic you might do glass you might do metal so you can have you can be a specialist in a particular niche or a, a, a product in different materials or you can be a specialist in materials in heaps of different products i mean there's lots of ways to do it it doesn't mean you've got to be really rigid and only sell knives and forks or something you can just you know spread it just it's just got to be something that's a bit related yep uh just to add on to what Margaret said and then related to Craig's uh, initial question, uh, again, I want to 
I always emphasize this to people and having um, worked with some, um, I guess you would call them small multinationals uh, for their Amazon sales. Um, I always say you don't actually have a business asset if you're selling other people's brands. You are really just a reseller um, in the, yep. The only way to have a real business asset, and Margaret mentioned this when she talked about um, selling off your brand, uh, is the, the business asset when it comes to this business model is actually having a brand or br- several brands. That's, yeah, that's the thing that has value. Otherwise, you're just uh, selling other people's stuff and there's zero value in your business. Okay. Does that answer your question, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Okay. Next question from Arthur. Has anyone tried using social media platforms to drive traffic back to Amazon? I haven't well, I have a bit, but honestly not much, and I haven't done it for years. So uh why I guess one of the things is bandwidth <laughs> um yeah uh, it'll just be for me it'll just be too much work <laughs> yeah and it's a lot more expensive I mean, it's got to work for you because you know if you're paying for ppc then you start paying for facebook ads or instagram ads your budget can soon run away and if you've only got a very narrow margin um so you know and i mean it's not easy to get a decent margin of um, you know, 50%. I had a call with a guy this morning who said, oh, I've got a really good margin. And then when we looked at it, I said, but hang on, you forgot to add this in. You forgot to add that in. You haven't got that good of a margin. You've got 30%. We haven't done PPC yet. Do you know how much your PPC is going to be? So I think, um, you know, you've got to be a bit careful <laughs> with spending too much on advertising. Um, you know, you can, you can, turn over a lot of money but I don't care how much people turn over they can tell me they turn over a million dollars I want to see how much money they've got in the bank at the end of the year that's all that matters you're better off turning over a hundred thousand dollars and making ten thousand dollars than turning over a million dollars and making five thousand dollars and that's what can happen and it does happen believe it or not people do a million dollars and do not make very much money. money at all yeah some people have lost money over a million dollars in a year because they just go crazy on social media and giveaways it used to be with rebate key you could give away products to get ranks and you know i mean you can quickly go if you're not got your finger on your dollar pulse and that's the most important thing is that what's in the bank because you don't want to work all year for nothing. Because really, you're employing, you're giving everyone, you're helping the world's economy because you're paying, you're giving the shipper and the, the manufacturer and every man that touches that product on its way to, to the, the um, you know, actual purchaser a job, except you're not getting anything at the end. So, you know, it's very nice to be gracious to everyone. <laughs> I think it also depends on yourself. So, like, for me, I'm a more technical. Like, I, I like to look at, PPC data. <laughs> I think You're it's sick, interesting. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Whereas, like for example, Farah, like uh, she won this competition to uh, that uh, Magla, Mark, and myself be organized, right? Um, and she won because of her video, and her video was amazing, right? And so, somebody like Farah, for you, uh, doing things on social media might actually make sense. Uh, because you're good at um, 
creating content for social media. And then uh, like if I was good at creating content for social media, I probably would, and I like to do it, then I probably would use it um, like to promote my product, whether organically or through ads. Like I would do a really active page and have all kinds of posts. Uh, but it's just something that I don't enjoy. And if I wanted to do that, I, I would have to outsource that. Okay, so let's move on to the next question. Amber, with rising shipping costs and perhaps PPC costs, it means that we potentially have to price our products higher than existing sellers. Do we still try to maintain the same margin? Do you recommend we try to price the same level with other sellers or spend more on PPC, especially if this is the first time you're selling this product? Um, okay, if you're just, it's a new product that you are selling and you're new to all this, number one, uh, you have to be, price competitive, right? I think you have to be realistic about being price competitive. Uh, so if your costs are high and you don't have enough margin, then that's not a product that you, then you want to reconsider whether it's a product you really should be pursuing. Um, the, I was surprised. I, I just had a shipment, uh, international shipment last week that went out. And the shipping cost was actually 30% lower than my previous shipment. Oh, that was good. <laughs> uh, which was January, I think. So I was pleasantly surprised. Like, oh. Um, so, but to answer your question, yeah, there are various things you can do. Again, there is no like fixed answer, right? Like if your margins are really good, uh, then obviously you can maintain your selling price. Uh, if your margins are already really tight and a rise in shipping cost, let's say of 30% is going to be loss making for you, then, uh, and you, you want to raise your selling price, but that would make you non-price competitive, then I would think it's a product you want to really consider culling. Yeah, and I think too, don't just be too despondent with your, your, your very first shipment. You know, don't expect to make money. If you think you're going to make a 30% margin, you might in a year, but you're not probably on your first shipment. And it's like, you know, if you go and open a retail store, you're not going to open the door and you've got, you know, 100 customers waiting at that door to buy your products on the first morning. And so you've got to be realistic. I mean, most businesses, bricks and mortar, are lucky to draw a wage in the first 12 months mm -hmm. um, because it is so hard to get yourself going. Amazon's not quite that bad, but I think you know, don't outprice yourself, you know, start off at a reasonable price and then maybe, you know, slip the price up a couple of dollars and see if your sales all drop back. But, you know, the first three months, you're going to blow so much money on PPC. If you, you know, break even, I think you've done pretty well um, because, you know, there are some costs to get started. You can't just expect to go there on day one and it's all going to happen boom and you're going to be doing your 20 sales a day or whatever you budgeted on because it takes a little bit of time, you know, and it depends on your product, it depends on your niche, depends on the competition there's so many things that you know and is it a real in-demand product or is it more of a you know thing that's you know more at Christmas or in the summer in America or you know there's so many things that influence when you launch and whether it's the demand season and yeah it's a lot a lot of things to consider okay so let's move on to the next question Mabel what would you do when you receive a refund initiated order 
and the voice of the customer. Would you send an email to offer a full refund? Do you use the standard email in Amazon or Helium 10? If the customer has opted out of receiving messages from sellers, what else would you do? I do nothing. To explain that, Amazon's already refunded them. And if they've yeah. written a complaint, like, I don't know, it's got a dent in it, um, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and they've already got their money back. So I wouldn't be, you know, doing anything. But look, a lot of these voice of the customers, there's tick boxes they can pick, you know, what their complaint is to get their money back. 90% of the time, it's probably not even justified. People just pick a reason that they don't have to pay a return fee on. Um, so, you know, and I think you've just got to look at it this way. Amazon, look, if you're selling on Amazon Australia, you'd be lucky to get a return in a year. If you're selling on Amazon America, you get about 5 to 10%, depending on your niche, all year constantly. It's just the way the American community actually handles it because they've been trained by Amazon that they can send anything back and get their money back two months down the track with no valid reason, um, even if they've used it for Thanksgiving dinner and now they want their money back or whatever. So I think you've just got to get over it. And I know it's sort of at first, you know, people end up in tears because they've got a bad review on their product or somebody said something bad, but a lot of the time it just is not justified. Like we got one the other day saying our product was bent unless I went out and put it in a vice and got a hammer and belted it, I don't even know if I could bend it at that point. So there was no way known it was bent, but they just thought that that sounded like a good excuse. Um, and another thing is some of those people, um, the good thing that you might know is when people go for a refund, then they get um, 60 days to return that product. If they haven't returned it in 60 days, Amazon will actually compensate you for everything but the FBA fee. So they're the ones I like. I like the people that really thieve my product and keep it because they love it so much. And then Amazon will pay me back the money. So that's a good thing to happen if you get a refund. And I probably get a couple of those every month at least, probably more. So it's just... You know, it's just the way it is. So don't take offence to it. The biggest problem is, I think, um, if you get a, if you're not selling a lot and you get two or three on the same product in the same two or three week window, Amazon might give you a poor. You'll get a little red message saying that you're about to be suspended or something. But look, when they do it, you go in, you put a dot or something in your headline or something just to, to make like you've amended the issue and it'll be straight back up in, in a little while. So, you know, you've got to be, you know, having a real lot of these complaints and maybe have a real issue to actually get completely suspended. I think the main thing is just don't be too emotional about it. <laughs> don't be upset. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to get tough skin. But I mean, it does. Sometimes you just get annoyed. And what one that annoys me is delivered late. That really annoys me because I'm Amazon are charging me, you know, eight or ten dollars to deliver my product. They deliver it late and it costs me a product um, because of their incompetence. I believe we should get compensated for those, but I've tried and they won't. They don't play that game. Okay, next question from JC. For business address, any alternative than putting our official registered Singapore address? Are we able to put our US 3PL logistic address or virtual US address? There are a couple of different addresses uh, in your Seller Central account. Um, one is the official registered address, which has to be the same as your business registration like documentation. And then I think the other one's a business 
address, which is where you operate from. Um, I I believe that the business address uh, doesn't have to be the official registered address. Mark was shaking her head earlier. Oh, well, to me, I don't worry about it. Um, who cares? And if you, especially if you're not in America, <laughs> if somebody wants to fly over and knock at my door and complain about my product, go for it. I really don't care. Um, so to me, I'm in Australia. I don't even worry about it. It's, it's got our home address because that's the address of our company and my business with Amazon. And I just leave it at that. I can't see the point in stressing and you know i think you can buy a, a mailing address in the us that you can use and stuff but then you've got to worry about if people you know use that in front of what keep it monitored and it does cost you more money so you know it might be a bit different if i was in america and they might come around you know with their gun or with something gun. you know <laughs> um but you know in a, if you're if you're not living in america i don't see who cares and i mean if they want to google maps and see what your house looks like do you really care i mean if they've got time to waste on that and they've bought your product, they must think something of it. So, you know, if it's not, I don't think it's worth a heartache. There's too many other things to worry about than, than your address being shown, I think. Um, I, I think just to clarify, because um, for the business address, we will show in the um, store front. So um, that's why I, I'm, I'm looking at these. Are we, um, because it will show the full um, so called um, Singapore address. Yeah. So, so, like the, so the, the one I use, uh, for me, I actually use a, a com gateway address or a virtual post, like vpost address. Mm -hmm. um, the reason is, uh, my, my reasoning for that is, uh, like you mentioned, the customers actually see that in the storefront. And so as far as possible, I want to come off as uh, an American seller uh, or have project that. Um, yeah, because like if I put a Singapore address, they, for example, then they might think that Singapore is part of China and then like half the people wouldn't buy, right? <laughs> That's not yeah, a... Maybe we've got an advantage of Australia. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, just to mention uh, for the virtual address, uh, which, which uh, service provider that you use? I just use my VPOS or COM gateway address. Those are like free, actually shopping services. So they'll give you a suite number, like a PO. It's a street address with like a, a user ID in address line two. And that's in the US, right? Yep. Typically mm -hmm. they're always in Oregon because it's sales tax free. So like when you shop, let's say, and then it ships there, uh, there's no sales tax. Okay, thank you. Yes. Uh, okay, so next question from Cynthia. I do sourcing directly with suppliers to shipping with my freight forward in China. I have difficulties to switch to other countries as I need to trust and dependent on sourcing agent and unknown added costing. What is your advice looking at current situation in China? I'm not exactly sure what the question is, sorry. So Cynthia, do you want to unmute and maybe just clarify? Are you asking like, how to find suppliers in other countries? Um, yeah, because from the start, I uh, do sourcing from 1688. I'm very comfortable because uh, with the product, whether to make any modification, I can at least roughly know what is the, 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 the price like of the product quite um, 
uh, immediately. And the communication with um, China, I'm very comfortable because it's very easy and very fast. Uh, well, sourcing with others, I, I find that you know, it's got to be through email. And uh, also, if I, I want to get a uh, sourcing agent, I am also a lot of uh, not comfortable because uh, I have no control over pricing and, and things like that. Yeah, this is what I mean. So do I, do I really need to, in the current situation with China right now, people are talking about the, the lockdown, delay, shipping, but I'm not quite sure whether, you know, shipping with other countries, like whether India, Vietnam, and things like that, does it also, you know, incur higher costs in the shipping right now? Mark, do you want to answer well, that? Well, look, at the moment, shipping is not cheap from anywhere in the world. Um, it's probably less chance. It depends on the volume you're shipping because the, the costs vary. Um, if you're doing it by the container, India is a lot cheaper at the moment than China per container. Um, but if you're doing smaller orders, um, look, it depends on where you're shipping from, how much you're shipping. Um, it can vary a lot. A small, really small shipments are expensive from anywhere in the world. I mean, if you're shipping from India and you're only shipping two or 300 items, that is just going to not be, I don't think it's even viable anymore because it works out to about $10 a product um, to do. If that's what you mean, is that is that sort of your question? Yeah, because um, uh, as I said, I'm uh, not used to shipping out of China. So there's a lot of unknown certainties for, for me, especially during costing and the uh, timing. Okay, so... Yeah, probably it's moving out of the comfort zone that, that I have this problem. I think, and every country is going to be different, Cynthia. So if you do want to go into any country, you're right, it's not easy. You've got to learn, um, you know, how shipping works and how to deal with suppliers. And there are different issues. There is no other China in the world. <laughs> mm. I mean, China is the world's factory. So, um, you know, most other countries work differently from China. In India, I mean, Margaret and I, we specialize in India. So um, it's, it's sort of similar to China, but, um, you know, in China, you can just go to the supplier and ask for a price and within five minutes, they'll give you the price because they have a lot of ready products that are, you know, sort of off the shelf and they have ready catalogs and they have hundreds and thousands of, uh, uh, you know, products readily available and they've made those products. Those products are in their catalog. Whereas in India, in many cases, you'll have to, you know, go to the supplier and to even to get a price they'll in some cases have to create a sample to give you the price of the product. I mean, if they have not already done that product. And just because, um, you know, most of the products that Indian suppliers do are customized OEM kind of production, um, they usually will not have like, you know, thousands of products in their catalog. Most suppliers do have catalogs. Uh, some of them have in-house design capability and they develop products in-house and they have those products in their catalog. Other suppliers just feature, you know, maybe some um, products that they have done for, for other buyers, just as an indication of their capability in their catalog. So, yeah, I mean, the first thing you have to consider, Cynthia, is first of all, do you want to source an entirely new product from a different country? You know, that's one thing. So if you want to just diversify your products, then you've got to decide, okay, which country is suitable for this product? Because you don't want to just move from China to another country just for the sake of it. And all countries do not make all types of products. 
So Vietnam, for example, specializes in certain kinds of products. Like there's furniture, for example, that's really good from Vietnam and, uh, you know, in very high quantities. There's also some plastic kind of products that are being made in Vietnam. But again, the quantities are very high. They have high MLQs. Um, and then there's other things like there's some handicraft items, garments, apparel, uh, baskets, those kinds of things are really good from Vietnam as well. In India, you want to do maybe wooden products, metal products, you know, those types of products. So if you want to do bamboo, for example, then you won't go to China or Vietnam. It's uh, sorry, India or Vietnam, it's China. Only China does, uh, you know, processed bamboo kind of products. If you want to do something cotton, organic cotton specifically, you might consider India. So there are a lot of different factors to consider um, before you decide on, you know, diversifying your sourcing market. Okay, thank you. Probably I have to, uh, maybe preempt you on India and uh, can discuss further. Yeah, sure. We can send you some resources on sourcing from India and you can take a look at that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yep. you can also visit our website, indiasourcing.net and uh, there are some suppliers over there. There's sourcing agents, freight forwarders. So for India, we have tried to make it easy because we have vetted all the service providers and freight forwarders. So there's a lot of uh, you know, resources already available um, for, for sellers to source. Sorry, Jason, go ahead. Yeah, I think in essence, it's really the product that you're dealing with and will determine where you source from. I think Magla did uh, mention that. So yeah, for me, that would be the key um, criteria. Exactly. Okay, next. Um, so another question from Cynthia. If I plan to send a few products to 3PL, then to Amazon, how many units should I send to Amazon for a start? How to do shipping plan for this? Oh, okay. So how much to send to Amazon for a start? Uh, first, uh, I would use Helium 10 X-ray to look at what kind of uh, numbers, um, competitive, well, similar type of products are selling per month, especially those from newer listings. And then I would probably, if I already have stock in the States, if a 3PL, then I might send in, let's say, what I expect to sell in one to three months or one or two months. Yep. Uh, and if my if I have to restock, let's say, from India or China, then I would send in more for a start, right? Uh, um, probably. Uh, but yep. So that's one. Uh, second half of your question how to do shipping plan for this, uh, just going to Seller Central, the same thing like you've done shipping plan for overseas. This is uh, the only difference is when you do your shipping plan, make sure you select uh, using, because your stock, your inventory is already in the US, make sure you select uh, Amazon partner carrier because that way you will book prepaid UPS shipping through Amazon uh, and the rate is very, very, very cheap. It's way lower than any other shipping option. Uh, yep. Uh, the other way is, depending on the 3PL you work with, uh, some 3PLs, uh, their workflow would be you create user permission for them to access the shipping um, portion of your Seller Central account. And so all you have to do is tell the, like with one of my three PLs, all I do is send him a Facebook message, like literally. And I say, hey, 
uh, I would like to ship uh, X quantity of this product. Uh, and then he'll reply and say, okay, it'll go out tomorrow. <laughs> and then he just, I don't even have to think about downloading labels or creating shipping plan. He goes into my account and does everything. And then after that, I get the invoice. Okay. So Charmaine Wee has the next question, but I think, uh, okay. Hi, Jason, do you source from 1688? I don't buy anything from 1688 myself, like directly. I sometimes, depending on the product, if it's appropriate, I might go on to 1688 just to like get an eye, like a ballpark idea of the pricing. Yeah, many times uh, suppliers that you see on 1688, they might not be, you know, factories and they may, might not be export experienced. Of course, it's a hit or a miss. Um, I know somebody who was sourcing from 1688 and um, they started having issues with the quality of the product. But of course, at the same time, there are lots of people who are sourcing from 1688 and they're doing okay. So, yeah. Okay, Farha. With the rising shipping prices, how much stock would you keep at Amazon Warehouse at a given time? Would a three to six months time be appropriate? I understand Amazon now has new rules where they will remove inventory if it stays for six months or more. I think it's one year, right? If it, uh, yeah, is, is it one year, one year or? Yeah, I yeah, it's one year. I don't think it's 60, six months. But uh, I'd be careful how much you've got in there in Q4 because your storage rate is, I think it's 75 cents at the moment. And Q4, it's about $2.40 or $2.60 a cubic meter. So you don't want to have a thousand items sitting in there in Q4 if you're only going to sell three or 400. You've got to work out what you believe you're going to sell in those months. And last year, I actually thought, I'm not playing this game of paying Amazon a huge storage bill. So I left my stock in my 3PL because it's about 75 cents sort of deal in there. And I'd slowly drip fed. It was a little bit of, I needed to check regularly. I had enough stock, but Amazon now have a really great tool called inventory planning. Um, so if you go into inventory, drop down to inventory planning tab and open that up, it will tell you today you need to put in X amount of these because they like you to have like um, usually about 60 days stock, you know. So if you've sold 100, they'll tell you to put in another 50 to make it up to 200. So you've got always got enough to last about 60 days. So use that tool to get a guide of how much stock you're going to actually sell in that Q4 because those fees can absolutely destroy your profit margin totally if you've got you know a few products in there and you're paying and you don't sell them in that time mm, yep. the other thing is amazon has storage limits i'm not sure for your accounts what your storage limits are uh, it's dy it dynamically changes for every account and mm. uh for my account it's pretty high because i have a strategic account manager who uh gives me extra storage but um a few things that I'm keeping in mind for my own Amazon um, inventory management. Number one, uh, I, I practice, a, uh, I tend towards a just-in-time kind of uh, model, um, meaning I try to be inventory light and uh, keep it moving. Um, be, but because of that, the, the disadvantage is I do quite off, more often than I like, I run out of stock. So this is my main uh, thing that I want to address like from in my own Amazon sales this year. Uh, I was talking to my Amazon account manager. I was telling her, uh, 
if because her, her goal is to make my sales increase by like 10 to 20% to keep her job. And then I said, as long to be honest, if I just stayed in stock uh, for all my products all the time, I probably would increase my sales by 30 to 50%. Is that because you haven't got the stock in America or just because you don't take it out of the Trevi Allen time? A combination of both. <laughs> yeah, no, because check out that. In, do you use that infantry planning report? Yes, I do. Yeah, I find that great. I yeah. like that. So uh, my plan this year is actually, uh, especially in preparation for Q4, like uh, last December was my worst sales month ever for like many years uh, because by mid-November, I ran out of stock of everything. Almost. What a um, yeah, good problem. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think I'll sell like a thousand units of these every month. And then like suddenly like they're all gone in two weeks. Uh, but uh, so what I plan to, oh, the, the other major, actually the main reason was because uh, besides the high sales last year was that the restocking took forever uh, especially the international shipping. So my overseas shipments, uh, I ordered them in August. Uh, they shipped out in September. I thought they would arrive in Amazon by end October, just in time for November, December. But those shipments only are checked into Amazon in January. Actually, have you had any bills for the marriages yet? Sorry? Have you had any bills for the marriages yet from the shipping lines? Uh, no, <laughs> no, because what happened is because if your um product has been sitting out on the water for two mm-hmm. months, um, I know a couple of people here in Australia who have just been hit with, and I'm not kidding, ten thousand dollar additional bill now, wow. they've just got it last week because the um shipping line, um, is it's now <laughs> catching up with all these people that were using right. space for sitting on the water. Um, so that if you're coming from <laughs> China, you, I mean, you've got to be very careful this year because I don't, the way China's going at the moment, I think shipping's going to be a bigger nightmare probably than it was mm-hmm. last year. Um, and if you get, you know, shipping that you can't get in, you got, and, but if you put in too early, um, you could get stuck in, a, it just might be an absolute nightmare at the port again. Um, and you don't want to be paying because these people yep. are just, they're saying this $10,000 is, you know, probably worth more than their product. Yeah. Um, so, but it's too late now mm-hmm. because it's been accepted. They've, they've sold it, but, you know, it didn't happen. So hopefully you don't get one of those bills. Yep. So what I planned my, or my plan this year is to actually uh, leverage on three PLs in the US mm. uh, to have stock there. Um so for example, uh, I have a couple of 3PLs I use. One of them, their headquarters is in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and they have also a, uh, like a, they have another facility in California. I also have a 3PL in Arizona that I use. And um, so what I plan to do is by the middle of the year, I'm going to ship off my stock for Q4 um, to the 3PLs. Mm. Already you said you're going that. to a different port other than California, Jason. Have you looked at shipping some to some other port where there's no congestion? Yeah, like Texas or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Uh, but uh, I like the idea of, um, oh, I'm okay. I'm good with storing with the US 3PLs because then they can drip feed much quicker yeah. into Amazon. 
Uh, and then the three PLs, uh, like last year for a season, they also helped me do a fulfillment by merchant, which I don't yeah. really like to do, but sometimes, uh, yeah, yeah if you run out. no way around it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I think that would be some options worth considering, Farah. And the three PLs don't have like the peak period surcharge. No, it's much it's much more economic. They do have fees, um, and it can become yep. quite expensive as well. Um, you need to research your three PL and how much they charge because some of them can be charging like up to $35, 40 dollars a pallet, and if it's there for longer, they charge more. So make sure you find a, a reasonably priced three PL that doesn't um, sort of penalise you for the stock sitting there for more than a couple of months and things because there's some high priced three PLs out there mm -hmm. because you know. It's an opportune time for them because everyone needs a 3PL now because of Amazon stock limits. So, um, you know, it's a price. They're, they're all making lots of money because they can at the moment because we need them. Okay, thank you. Okay, so let's take a last couple of questions. JC, do you recommend launching new products during Prime Day? Uh, I don't have any preference for or against launching on Prime Day. Uh, it's mm. inconsequential in my opinion. Okay. Um, Sean, you mentioned with the shipping issues from China to US worse than last year, potentially incurring extra fees for ships delayed on water. Does it make sense to still produce a new product? How long does it taste the string? <laughs> well, your old products, if it's coming from there, will also potentially encounter the same issue. So mm. it's not an issue of new product or yeah. Not so. It's just hard to know what's going to happen with China at the moment because it's, you know, if it keeps having this delays and COVID shutdowns, everyone is going to be going crazy to get their stock in. So it's just going to make it a lot more congested and harder. But let's hope maybe that the ports in California can improve their <laughs> ways of working as well. Because I mean, it's not just the China end, it's the um, US yeah. end where the port isn't able to cope. Or, you know, they need to, I don't know, do something there as well. They need an overhaul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And everybody's in the same boat, right? Um, in terms of costs. So basically just That's do it. That's <laughs> funny. Sure. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> okay, cool. Any yeah, more? Sorry. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Please. I think, Sean, don't let, um, that be an obstacle to you like if you have a product that you want to run with don't let like these things like uh, hold you back because everybody's face th that's yeah. just the reality of the world right yeah, uh, well, it's, yeah it's a and world it, and I mean there's so many things I mean you've got you know the Ukraine war you've got you know mm -hmm. trucks in the US transport costs fuel costs to just <laughs> The list goes on and on. Um, and so I think if you're going to wait, you'll, you'll never do it. Yeah, and there's always something or the other. Mm, <laughs> that's <happening. yeah. laughs> um, Lilian is asking, may I know if you see any sales decrease recently due to inflation? Wow. <laughs> well, I could say, and I don't know, I've, I'm myself, I found that January, February, March weren't as good as last year. And quite a few people I know were in the same boat. But I'm touching wood and I'm going to touch my head and everything else. My sales so far for April have been quite good. So I'm feeling a bit more optimistic that maybe 
I don't know. It's now turning to the time in America where people are starting to prepare for summer and getting back into, um, you know, and maybe got over all the dramas in the world moving forward. I'm not, Just, yeah, I'm not sure whether like macroeconomic kind of inflation uh, has that quick of a effect on the real world like shopping spend um i did see like same as margaret my experience was january february sales were generally lower uh i think it's not i don't think it's as much due to inflation as people have just uh, uh sh- online shopping fatigue after two years of covid <laughs> and yeah, then like restrictions started lifting people started like hey let me go to the shopping mall again uh but then um, in March, I think it was like um, maybe about exactly four weeks ago, my sales suddenly doubled like consistently like every single day, like oh, compared cool. to January, February. Oh. Uh, so I was like, eh, I guess people are shopping again. <laughs> and I think too, um, if, the, if there is a problem with the economy, um, you know, you probably need to sell something that people need, not things that people want. Mm. So if it's a you know, pretty vase to put on your bench that you can live without, um, you know, it might not sell, but if it's, you know, um, you know, that pair of tongs you need to turn the meat in the barbecue, you're going to sell it. So I think you've got to give it a bit of thought. Is this something that people need or something that people want? And that'll probably be the difference if, if the economy goes down. Okay. Last question from Farah. When sourcing wooden products, is it the supplier or freight forwarder who should provide the Lacey Act plus fumigation certificate plus FDA inspection certificate? Supplier. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need an FDA inspection certificate. I mean, for wooden products, if it... You just pay a fee. I do pay an FDA fee. Um, But look, your supplier, Farah, you're coming out of India, so... Um, you shouldn't have any issues. Your supplier will be able to do a Lacey Act and the required. It's just a couple of documents. But um, CA are really good on all that and they will make sure that everything is, you know, they'll go back to, I never know. I just, it happens. Um, my supplier and, and Shameshka work together and it's all done for me. I don't have to say, oh, I need a Lacey Act. They know they've got you know, wood coming into the yep. port so they know they need that paperwork. So um, if you use a reputable shipper who knows their stuff, um, it's not going to be a problem. Yep. It's just standard part of the procedure process mm. for them. Uh, I think the confusion maybe, Farah, for you might be that uh, the f- uh, both supply and freight forwarder are involved, but it's the supplier who has the certificate and they need to hand that over to the freight forwarder because the freight forwarder needs to clear customs. Yeah. Usually the freight forwarder will go to the supplier directly yeah. to ask for mm-hmm. this and they'll just copy you on the email. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I think uh, let's wrap it up here. But before we go, Jason, do you want to quickly talk about your next uh, training? When are, when are the dates? Do you have your dates yet? I think most people here have, here have probably done your training. <laughs> <laughs> They're already selling, but uh, there's going to be people watching the replay as well. So do you have dates for the next training? And I'll just put in the link over here. Yep. Uh, I don't have a set date yet. It's probably okay. going to be in, well, sometime in May. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, if you go to my website and the link that Megla will share, yeah. uh, there is a email um, 
or Facebook Messenger uh, button there where you just click uh, to be informed. That will tag you. And then uh, once the dates are up, I'll be sure to send you either a Facebook private message or a, an email. Okay, cool. And I also want to tell everyone that we are hosting our India sourcing trip in October. <laughs> Yay! After three can't years, <laughs> we can't wait to go there. So uh, tickets are not available yet, but in case anyone's interested in learning more about the trip or if you want to um, you know, take a look at the prices, etc. when tickets are available, then sign up for the waiting list here. I've just put in the link. It's a Google form. You can put in your name um, on, onto this waiting list and then we'll email you when uh, tickets are available in the next couple of weeks. Um, and okay, what's the cost? So Ben, the way that this trip, trip works is that it's an eight day trip to India and uh, it's an all-inclusive trip. So it includes, you know, hotel, food, food. transportation. Yeah. Uh, we do a full day conference, visit to a trade show three days. Uh, we visit factories, we do uh, a Bollywood night, we do a couple of nights where, you know, we're just networking and masterminding with other coaches. We've got um, a Taj Mahal trip as well, a day trip to the Taj Mahal. We stay in a nice five-star hotel and um, it's like fully managed. So the only thing that you need to cover is your airfare. And apart from that, everything else is covered in the trip. And um as soon as you some of your alcoholic drinks on a few nights we pay for <laughs> we pay for about half i think isn't it three nights or something so you've got to pay for your drinks the other three if you want to drink that's about yeah. it <laughs> it's like un unlimited yeah we've got happy hour unlimited two hours drink as much as you can <laughs> so that's a lot of fun and um yeah we've got quite a few you know coaches as well we've got uh tim jordan coming in from the US um, and uh, some some other coaches, CJ Rosenbaum and probably Jason too. Jason, we have to talk to you about the trip. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, check it out. It, the website is indiasourcingtrip.com. If you want to see videos and photos from the previous trip, um, you can do that at indiasourcingtrip.com. I'll just quickly post the link over here, but otherwise you can also just go to this Google form and then uh, put in your name um, on the list. And then we will send you an email once uh, tickets are available. So the cost is, uh, it starts at 4,500 us dollars. That's the, um, starting price. And that's for the early bird and for, uh, sharing, um, uh, the hotel room. So double occupancy in the hotel room. And then if you want single occupancy, it's 5,000 us dollars. So that's it. And that's the URL there, indiasourcingtrip.com. Cool. Okay. So I think that's uh, it for today. And if you guys have any questions, we are also available in the Telegram group of the Asian sellers. So feel free to join the group over there and uh, we will see you next month for another Ask Me Anything session. All right. Take care, everyone. Yep. Bye. Bye.